Well, my next guest has an extensive background in intelligence. He's also running for U.S. Senate to fill Debbie Stabenow's seat. It is Mike Rogers, and he joins us on JR Afternoon. Mike, good to have you. Chris, always good to hear your voice, my friend. I, I, I'm troubled by the ongoing situation in Israel, as I think everybody is. But what I find to be most troubling, and, and I, I'd love for you to shed some light on, on the intelligence that was received by U.S. officials, because there were two assessments that were produced, one on September 28th, the other on October 6th, the day before the attack, that showed that there was an increased risk for a conflict between Hamas and Israel. What kind of communications go back and forth between the United States and Israel in terms of this type of information that comes into U.S. intelligence agencies? And where could there have been a breakdown? So normally anything dealing with Hamas or Hezbollah or any of the other Iranian proxies including most but not all of our intelligence that would be collected on Iran, uh, would, would be passed along to the Mossad or the Shin Bet in Israel. But remember, it wasn't specific. As far as I can tell, I look at, I saw the same thing you did, and it wasn't very specific. And remember what I think the breakdown here was, not that there wasn't information and bits and signs here and there, uh, but the fact that they had uh, the Hamas and I think their masters in, in Tehran were were putting out a massive disinformation campaign uh, about hey we're, we you know we lost we lost in 2021 remember there was a two week scuffle where they went across the border killed mm-hmm. some some Israeli soldiers uh, and so Israel retaliated uh, and and hurt them pretty good they've been saying ever since no we don't want that anymore we don't want that anymore and it was on all levels. So they fooled them by using senior Hamas leaders' telephone calls by saying that, and they knew they'd be intercepted. Same with emails and other texts and other communications. And then they had a civilian social media disinformation campaign reaffirming all of that. So just a few days before this happened, there was an IDF, uh, Israeli Defense Force, senior official saying, we have really effectively deterred Hamas from coming into Israel so much so that they were moving troops off of that border and putting them in other places. I think that had as much to do with it, even when you get those reports like, hey, something doesn't seem right, mm-hmm. it wasn't, that information wasn't jiving with what the, the uh, Israeli uh, intelligence services believed because of all of this disinformation. How, how closely are the, the Israeli intelligence to, to the United States, do they have the same capabilities specifically in the region that we would? I think their collection in the region is better than ours. It is a first-rate intelligence service. That, and remember, they're very, very, very good. They don't have a big, wide aperture like the United States uh, intelligence services would. They don't have you know interest in China and Russia and uh, sure. to the same degree that we do. And so they are very focused. Lots of their resources really focused. They know what their existential threat is, and they believe it's Iran and these proxy uh, terrorist organizations like Hamas. So they're pretty good. I would argue they're better than we are in the region. In terms of, you know, you're running for Senate, and I I would imagine that there are still 
you know, the important issues that we need to face day to day, right? Inflation up, the cost of goods and services is up. The national debt is way too high. We, we need to cut spending, yada, yada. How do these events, like what we're seeing unfold in Israel, shape the way you prioritize or would prioritize uh, different types of policy in the U.S. Senate? Well, first of all, America needs uh, leadership. We're just, you just don't see it hardly any place anymore. I mean, the very fact um, that you have an invasion in the Donbass uh, after the Afghanistan withdrawal debacle uh, that left a, you know, a black mark certainly on, on uh, America's credibility. Uh, and then you see this kind of attack. Listen, the rest of the world's looking at us thinking we are just a mess. And we continue to display that, I think, pretty openly that we are. So if you're going to get ourselves ready to compete with China, which, by the way, is a huge economic and national security threat for us, terrorism still continues to be a threat, uh, you know, what the Russians are up to and what they're capable of doing, we have to do things at home to get ready. We have, it's not just that we have to cut spending. It, the, when they refinance the debt under the new rates, uh, the interest payment will be almost as big as the Department of Defense uh, spending. Think of that for a minute. That's just the interest payment. And so all of that borrowing, all of that spending means that people listening are paying $700 more in groceries uh, and gasoline. And by the way, the, the Biden administration is trying to make gasoline a lot more expensive. I mean, they just keep piling on and they're hurting the very families that they say they want to help. And oh, by the way, internationally, they're just giving us an absolute signal that we are weak and vulnerable and you can do what you want. I mean, there's uh, Anthony Blinken just came out and said that there could be a war between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia, right? And that's one is kind of an old KGB guy in, in Azerbaijan, uh, which is likely, you know, prompt by Russians. I mean, all of this activity isn't by accident, I don't believe. Uh, and the world is just thinking that we just don't have our act together. So, candidly, when I go, we're going to deal with the things that that uh, take care of Michigan families, like uh, getting uh, spending down so we can get inflation down, uh, and, and then going to work on all of the other problems that we have. Uh, in you know, schools are letting our kids down. Uh, the economy and the prospect for jobs in the future is starting to look pretty thin, and we've got to change that. And we have to change it now. And we don't have four, six years eight years to wait. We've got to get started now, which is one of the reasons I'm running. I, 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 I tend to agree that that leadership vacuum can be particularly troubling, especially when we enter into into the next year, maybe year and a half, two years. You've got the Russia-Ukraine conflict going on. You've got now this war in in Israel and, and Gaza. Um, and and I, I, I I feel like we're always kind of looking towards you. You mentioned China. I feel like we're always kind of looking down the road towards what they're going to do and what move they're going to make on Taiwan. And we've seen the the capabilities of the Chinese government to to build warships at a much faster clip than what we're doing in the United States. Are we entering? Uh, and and I I do not mean to sound an alarm here, but are we entering a, a kind of um, unspecified future for you not for the United States going forward in the next you know eighteen twenty four months. Listen, if we keep doing the same things that we are, I, I think you have to say absolutely. We are you know driving ourselves to the bottom. 
China, I mean, let me back up. The administration is going to is in the process of destroying one-seventh of our economy when it comes to the automobile industry by mandating the very kind of car you have to drive. And, you know, their stated objective doesn't get met with, with this uh, absolutely disruption. One of the reasons UAW is, is uh, striking is they understand that when you mandate that everyone has to drive an electric car that, A, by the way, the public doesn't want, and, B, we're not ready for infrastructure-wise, it does tremendous harm to the industry and will cost probably half, half when it's fully implemented, the number of manufacturing jobs we see today. Yeah. China's eaten it up. They love it. And matter of fact, 85% of everything that goes into that electric, all-electric car has to get processed in China. So they understand that we are our own worst enemy. And by the way, there's a better way to do this. 500 pounds of critical minerals that goes into one EV which is great. It takes four tons of carbon out of the air. But that same 500 pounds, which, by the way, still has to be processed in China, mm-hmm. makes 90 hybrid vehicles. And those 90 hybrid vehicles take 140 tons of CO2 out of the air. I mean, there are a be- this is a much better way to do it. But, man, people are so hell-bent on it. And they don't seem to care, including the, the Biden and his allies in Congress here in Michigan, who what the implications are going to be for working families yeah. and America's ability to actually build something. Well, you, want to, you want to be a great country, you got to build stuff. And you talked about the UAW and working class families, uh, the economic impact now of this UAW big three strike up to $7.7 billion, according to the Anderson Economic Group. Uh, Mike Rogers, good stuff. Look forward to talking with you again very soon. Thanks, Chris. Look yep. forward to it. That's Mike Rogers, the U.S. Senate candidate, former chair of the House Intelligence Committee on Capitol Hill. Got to take a break for news. Come back for more here on JR Afternoon on WJR.